So one thing I'll say to every person who's ever thought to do game development, if you've never done game <laughs> development, what you do is you say to yourself, man, I have a really cool idea. I really want to make this story come to life and it would be yeah. best suited for a game. 99% of people who think that are absolutely wrong. <laughs> the best games that have ever been created actually rarely start with the story in the game story, but yep. they normally start with Well, hello there, good people of the Super Agile Nation. It's your boy, Bradson Henry. You already know who it is. Just trying to make it happen another day in the Super Agile world. Uh, but you know, I'm never doing this alone. Uh, yes, the Agile We all world. live in the Super Agile world. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm never alone. I always got a player two and a three. But today we only got a player two. Um... So first, let me just introduce the boy, Kyle. What's happening, brother Kyle? How are you doing, sir? What's going on? Hey, it's uh, it's happening, you know? It's a good day. Got some good weather today. Happy to be here, as usual. Yeah, you know, I mean, shout out to good weather, because for some people, I know some of y'all out there might have been impacted by the Hurricane Ian. I hope you're doing well. You're safe. Uh, me and my family, we were impacted a little bit. But when I say a little bit, like... It came by us, but we barely lost power. Nothing big, but, you know, it was rainy and That's good. windy. So uh, we're doing good. So I appreciate all the people who've sent, hey, how are you doing? Checking in. Um, we are doing safe and we are well. And I hope the same for y'all. But as you might have already noticed, we're missing one of the brothers. We're missing the brother Steve. Brother so, Steve. Brother Steve. So this is going to be one of them duo. I mean, Steve basically said that he just wasn't feeling it. He didn't like y'all. And that he just... It was personal. It was personal. You know, like, once we hit episode 50, he started realizing, like, how much he dislikes everybody who listens to this podcast. Um, and it's kind of Something about the whole situation being beneath him. Yes. And yes. Uh, he can't tolerate it anymore. Yes. You know, he said his favorite phrase, these plebeian, plebeians or something <laughs> to that extent. You know, they're yeah. lesser than me. Uh, they have... Uh, dirty blood or something like that i don't know i don't know what mm -hmm. that was all about but um muggles i think muggles yes exact yeah. exact terminology i believe he used so uh you know what me and kyle we love our muggle boys and girls out there so uh no hate but represent you know, you know steve just felt like he needed time away from from y'all i'm just <laughs> 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 no we're not gonna play steve like that you know he's he's just he's just uh i don't want to say incapacitated <laughs> That's the right word. He's, just, he's incarcerated. He's incarcerated, you know, in, in a jail of his own making. But yeah, he just can't. <laughs> he just can't make it. So, um, yeah, it's just us boys today, us brothers, myself and Kyle. So we got a special treat because this is something we were talking about, trying to figure out how to do at some point. Because one of our great friends, great listeners, one of the homies in the Discord, one of the homies in real life, the boy Vanta, aka in Marcus. Um, we go way back, but, uh, Marcus threw out a while back. He just was like, Hey, I have a suggestion for an episode. He said, it'd be cool to hear a little bit about, you know, uh, stuff on the game dev side. Uh, we've mentioned mm -hmm. in the past that Kyle and myself, we have not just dabbled in game development, but we've done quite a bit in game dev. And, um, 
he was just asking like, hey, like what's your origin story? How'd you get started? And what are some of the tools out there going on? Uh, what, what, how's it changed over the, the landscape changed for game dev over the years? And we figured it'd be cool to talk about it. It's something we always love talking about. So it's going to be fun. You, you ready for this, Kyle? You ready? I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one because I, I remember when he first posted that, I was like, man, that would be an awesome thing to talk about just because, yeah, we're so deep into it. And we can just talk at length about it. So hopefully this won't be a five-hour episode. But <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's I get into it. I agree. I agree. So, um, so yeah. So I guess what we'll start out with is just me and Kyle sharing a little bit about our background into game dev. Um, what I will say is that this will definitely be, I think, a condensed version. Um, definitely on my end, I assume the same for Kyle. There's a lot of things that happen, uh, I think, for us both that got us into game dev and has continues in game dev. But I mm-hmm. definitely would love to share my story, and I'd love to hear Kyle's. I've, I've heard quite a bit of it, but it'd be cool to hear it again. So, yeah, I don't go know. for it, man. So, so I started off. Okay, cool. Well, um, super long story short, I went to school. I graduated with a degree in uh, mechanical engineering. Worked for a while and realized it wasn't for me. And this is way back in oh my goodness, two thousand and eleven. Wow, mm. it's been over a decade. And um, I just knew that I needed to figure something out, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'm, I knew that I'm a, like, I was a creative, like 100%. Like uh, from day one, yeah. everything that I've like done that I felt I was proud of has come from a creative part of me. You know, if it's making music and beats with my friends or break dancing or doing graffiti for a little bit. Yeah, I did that. Ooh. That's a whole nother story. Um but I know about that one. Yeah, that's a that's a that's that's one of them things. I, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Around here tagging today. Um, but uh, I knew I was a creative. But you know, like I, I think mechanical engineering is definitely creative. But I figured I wasn't really finding my outlet in that, and I felt like I was slowly dying inside. Uh, matter of fact, quickly dying inside. Mm. <laughs> so I just started pursuing what would be my thing, and I, I've shared this story with a lot of people, but. There was a time where I thought I wanted to be an after-school um, counselor or after-school, like, program, like, for kids, like, program director. Mm. But I realized that, like, I'm the worst person because I'm the person that will <laughs> tell children, hey, you should throw firecrackers into the bathroom. You should, oh, no. like, the, you know, like, <laughs> because I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> and, and I know for the most part you're not really going to get hurt, but that's probably not the, the best thing to do. Uh, it's vandalism. I'm I'm like the worst person. I, I'm telling kids to go. Hey, you should go kick <laughs> that guy. You know where to kick him. <laughs> like like really. Where did you kids get this idea? <laughs> don't the don't counselor? tell them. Don't tell them it came from me. That's always. <laughs> so anyway, I did just on a whim. Just was thinking about all the things I love doing and game games games. I mean games. Half of the episodes we do on this podcast are about games and. Well over half. Like, well over half. <laughs> it is not balanced whatsoever. <laughs> We're trying to be better. But also, like, I'm, I've always been deep into games. I think I mentioned this before. I used to read Game Informers, like, front to co- cover to cover. Like, mm-hmm. every game that's coming out, I'd watch everything that I possibly could, even when I didn't have access to it. So there's a lot of games I've never played, but I know everything about. So I was like, man, let me get into game dev. Long story short is I realized, oh, I have zero skills for this. But I want to really figure this out. I did research, and I ended up going to uh, GDC on a whim, like with a resume and going, 
I'm gonna get me a job in game dev because this is Too I already big. got a college degree. I'm good, son. It didn't work out that way. Uh, so real life. <laughs> I went there and I, I, I at this point I had done nothing in game dev. Nothing. I just had my resume and some dreams. I go to GDC first time going to San Francisco. Went by myself. Didn't really have that much money, so I just was kind of like low key as possible. I go to the they had a career fair. I go up and I think I was at Ubisoft booth. Ubisoft. Ooh. It wasn't Blizzard because Blizzard's was super long. And I was at Ubisoft uh-huh. and they had multiple lines. And what would happen is you wait in line and you get to run into a recruiter. I showed the recruiter my resume and I won't for, I can never forget this because she looked at me and she was like, "Wow, this is one of the worst resumes I've ever seen." Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's like, there's nothing on here that's useful. I, I don't know what I would do with you. I don't know what, to, you know, she was just super honest and super blunt. Man, she was real. And she was like, I couldn't hire you for anything. And I was like, what? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, these skills have no application in our industry. You need to get start from square one. Bam. It hit hard like, like a train, like a freight train, son. But... It, it, that's a pivotal moment man i actually emailed her not too long after and i thanked her for that moment because <laughs> it changed everything it changed everything from that moment i said i gotta grind i gotta learn yeah and man, um that'll get you on track yeah and so really what that got me into game dev and from that point um and i and i could talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that i actually did as when we talk a little bit more about like our story but i basically just google searched how to make a game at this point like Things like Linda and Udemy, Udemy, Udemy yeah. and you know, didn't exist. The only things that Skillshare. really exist, yeah, Skillshare didn't exist. YouTube wasn't really the place. No brackets for learning or anything. None of that existed. Somebody just told me about Coursera, which was just getting started, and mm. that was like computer science from like MIT and stuff like that. Let's just say I never completed any of those courses, and then. Um, and then the other <laughs> was just random blogs that people had about random oh, nice. stuff. And uh, that's my first game was writ- written in C sharp. I'm sorry, did I say C sharp? I wish. C using an engine called SDL. And I still have the game. It's called uh, the, the Pepper of Destiny. Ah, I can't remember what it's called. The but Pepper of I, Destiny. I, I, I'll share it with you one day, Kyle. It's so. Drop that boy in the Discord. <laughs> I, I was no, that was my second game. My first game was called Noja. Noja. And it and it was a play off of Jonah. And it was gonna be a mm. retelling of Jonah, but in this alternate universe. Oh wow. It was so bad, but I still think I have it. But anyway, so that's my story. Noja. And so much has happened after that, but we can maybe talk more about that. But that's how I got started in game dev. That's that's my story nice. and I'm sticking to it that's a good story yeah I want to hear the rest of it It I had no idea about Noja and the pepper that could yes. whatever the other Project Chef of Fire that's what it was called Project Yo. Chef of Fire yeah man so I had I guess similar origins in the in the fact that I did play a lot of games growing up um, always been there was actually one of my friend's dad he would call us game heads oh, because really? you know I'd always go over to his son's house and we'd play Smash Bros for mm. hours and hours and hours. But before that, you know, I'd play with my parents. We had a Super Nintendo in the house, and so I was just enamored from a very young age. I was very, I was just 
captivated by anything that had to do with animation. Yeah. And, you know, video games are just full of lights and sounds and things moving around and zip zapping. But the difference was that you're controlling this animation. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's another level. And so, uh, you know, as I grew up, I used to make like comic books and I would make stop, stop motion animations with my phone. And then eventually I kind of moved over into, you know, trying to put these things together. So uh, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot when I was a kid. And so I was like, how can I, how can I make what I see on TV, these animations? How can I make this into a game of my own? So I just made like bootleg Yu-Gi-Oh! cards, which was my first like full step into any sort of game making. Wait, so how old were you at this point? I was around probably 13. 13, wow. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that lived around the corner whose uh, family had more money than mine, sort of. <laughs> they would buy him more <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh cards, so he had all the cool ones. And I could never play against him, and so I had the idea of, you know, why don't we make our own to level out the playing field? Mm. And we had this whole setup where, you know, we just throw all the cards in the bag, and you draw them from there. It was a pretty fun game. In retrospect, I'm sure it was trash. And the balancing, it's probably terrible. The balancing was completely terrible. <laughs> and so then, a couple of years later in high school, um, they they started offering this program. It was a it was it was just called programming. You know, it was like a another elective aside from um, the computer class you would take. Mm-hmm. And they said that there was a little bit of game dev involved. And I was like, oh, I've never done oh, wow. anything game development wise. And I played RuneScape up to this point and stuff like that. So I've been interested. And that was when uh, Flash games were huge hey. and everywhere. And so that's how kind of how they marketed it. You know, use the engine people use for Flash games. And so we learned about Flash as well as getting introduced to Multimedia Fusion 2. Wow. Now, this was the program. And so have you heard of Five Nights at Freddy's? Me? Oh, yeah. That's the every everybody 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 know about five nights and if you don't so click now you know yeah go well you might not want to look it up if you don't know because it's kind of creepy but uh <laughs> just a little disclaimer but so that game was made in click team fusion which is the company that made multimedia fusion really so it's like this weird interlink in that yeah and so but it's this 2d engine with like a visual coding language you can write in script I forgot the language that they actually use, but if you didn't want to use all that stuff, then you go to like this screen with all these blocks and you you click on the block and you can type in function type things. And it was super easy to use for like kids. And so, um, you know, after I went through that program, what really kind of got me was I had a whole lot of fun in that program. But I didn't have access to what I was doing at school at home. Mm. And the professor, uh, the teacher, I guess, it was kind of like a lunch lady who just had to be in there because it was an elective class. <clears throat> but so we had the disc, but there was like six discs and they would use the same disc on the computers because you just had to have the login code in order mm-hmm. to get, make the disc work. And she was like, hey, if you want to take this disc home, you can. Oh. And I was like, for real? And so I never brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> I robbed the school. <laughs> And so um, I brought it with me to college. And so I went to, I studied animation in college. And so throughout learning, you know, more things about animation, I was also building games in multimedia fusion. Mm. And uh, so I built a handful of games and had people test them in my classes and stuff, learned a little bit about 3D. And then that, you know, it's just history from there about just me diving into different engines, eventually got to Unity 
And we can get in deeper into that. But that's kind of like what started me off. It's just like every so often I just take a another little incremental step, trying something different, you know. And yeah, the rest wow. is kind of history. I love that there's a part in the story where it's like, you're like, man, I, I love kind of doing this, but how do I go f- further? And your teacher like is like, I see you had something in you, child. You can take <laughs> this home with you. And maybe you can change the world. <laughs> and the prophecy started. And the prophecy started. No, it's it's so interesting that, you know, you got me thinking about like my past, even before that point, that pivotal point after college and like me working. Because now thinking back, I think game development and this world of just game design and making things for people to play has always been a part of me. But mm-hmm. I've just never thought of it as something that I could do. I don't know if you know, you, I don't even know if this, because I know you said you didn't, you didn't get cable until later, like, or something, right? right? There, yeah, I, I don't, was in high school. I, I don't know if you ever saw these commercials. This is, I was kind of in high school, middle school. I don't know how old I was. I just remember seeing them on TV, normally on Saturday. It was these commercials where they were telling you go, to go to, like, school for games. And it would mm. be like, this, like, no disrespect, but like, this kind of overweight, like, nerdy looking dude on a couch in a dimly lit room playing a game and then like maybe a commercial come on and be like hey you and he'd be like huh you on the couch (laughs) you're like huh me he's like yeah you like playing games don't you and he's like yeah i love them he's like well it's time for you to stop playing games and start making them and then it would be like Mm. this weird like infomercial commercial about how you could go to school to make games yeah but to be very honest like I don't even, I don't, you know, I don't want to make it, I'm, I'm trying to be very, you know, I'm going to be real, real. It just never seemed like it ever represented me and people who look like me, right? That's real. I just saw it as like, oh, this is not a thing for young black kid on the east side of Atlanta. This is something for, you know, everybody else, you know, or a specific group. Um, yeah, and, all that stuff always seems so mystical. Yeah, it seemed like impossible to me. Even though there's these commercials saying, hey, you could do it. It didn't seem like it was you. It was like that other guy can do yeah, it. The guy in the commercial. The guy in the commercial. <laughs> the guy who looks like the guy in the commercial, you know, mm-hmm. but not me. And then also, I didn't know anybody in computer science or in mm-hmm. any kind of creative anything like, right. like the most creative thing that i knew somebody did in my like family is like one of my aunts owned a wig shop (laughs) you know like wow so to me i was like oh that's really cool she owns her own business you know but like yeah most of my other my family like you know were like professional career you know working different things so um or just doing what they got to do to get by so it seemed impossible but kind of going back sorry i just went on a tangent but as a kid, I always loved making up games for mm-hmm. me and my friends to play. Like, they're like, I would like, kind of, it's funny you talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Because there's a time where we, me and my best friend at the time, Corey, we would play, uh, he, we were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! But I didn't have any Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. And my parents, they I didn't, I don't think they would even buy me the starter deck. <laughs> it was like 60 bucks or Snap. something crazy. Um yeah. And but my brother, who was older than me, had some magic cards that he bought when he was in high school. And me and my friend Corey, we would play this 
rent this new version of the game with Yu-Gi-Oh cards and magic cards over the phone. Oh, wow. And we created unique rule sets and we created all this over stuff the over the Trust. phone, you know, like, <laughs> and it was really hard. I will lie not to cheat, but it was like, it kind of took the fun away. Like, I'm trying to beat, like, I wanted yeah. to know I beat him. You know, maybe he Man. cheated, but it never seemed like he did because sometimes I would online multiplayer. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. so uh, and also like me and my friends, we were like, I'd play basketball and stuff. And during the summers, we'd be playing basketball or wall ball where you throw a tennis ball against the wall and try to catch it. And, and then you peg each other. And then oh, yeah. I, I'd be like, yo, let's try this new game. And I remember I created a game where it was like a box on the ground. and You had to throw the tennis ball, but you had to like tackle each other. And one of the guys named Michael, he got hit so hard by one of the other guys that he got the wind knocked out of him. Ooh. And I, we thought he was dying. Like, we thought he was straight up dying. We never experienced this before. We were young. And yeah. I never made, like, another game. Oh, <laughs> again, snap. Because I was like, I'm not trying to kill people. It just freaked Games me out. Games hurt people. Yeah, so I always kept it to, you know. And, and then, then, like, when I would be a part of groups, like, my church group my friend group, whatever, like if we were ever hanging out, I'd be the guy that came up with some crazy game or for a church, like Wednesday night thing, I'd make up a game, you know, for us to play or a icebreaker game, a brand new thing. I'd always do this, but I never thought of it as game design. I just yeah. thought of it as something fun. And I'd always think about the different types of players. Like, okay, we're going to have older people, younger people. We're going to have women. We're having men. We have people uh, who've accessibility never played. too. I was thinking about accessibility. Oh, some people don't really understand the basic rules of games. So how do I make a game that's accessible depending oh, on your tutorials. skill set? You know, like, exactly. And, <laughs> and how do I make sure that they can get in the game immediately because if people lose interest, they won't want to do it, you know? So I was just doing Hey, this. matchmaking. <laughs> you know? You got it all going. <laughs> but I never thought of it as game design. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Um, yeah. So it's just hearing your story just reminded me of that. Like, wow, you know, I guess I've been kind of doing this, but never thought of it You've that been way, a, you know? Been a game dev all along. For real, for yeah. real. Yeah, it's putting that stuff together. I mean, it, it takes. I guess it it's easy to underestimate how much goes into, especially when you play a game that you don't like or you think that's really silly. You know, if the game functions, somebody worked on that, mm -hmm. and so it's it's really easy to underestimate how much time goes into you know a physical game, which maybe you buy props and you do in person, but you know to build a game out in an engine is like a step above that. In a way, because yeah. you have to speak a language to create something in a language that other people can read on the other side of it, which is the user experience yeah. and the user interface. And, you know, you have to think you always have to be kind of like one step ahead when you're creating a game because you're not doing it for you. Mm -hmm. You're doing it for others to experience and you have to like be in their shoes while also wearing the development hat. So it's a lot of juggling. Yeah, it's such a strange it's so it's so hard to like once you get into game dev for real and you start thinking like you start making your first game, you start to mm -hmm. realize how something you take for granted. Super Mario Bros. You know? Oh yeah. How much complex work, thinking, creative, problem solving, like technical. You know, you just don't realize all these different pieces to create right. something that you just play with your friends. You know. And I think that to me was like the most humbling thing and also made me yeah. have a lot of appreciation, even for the most trash games. I'll still clown mm -hmm. them and make fun of them. But <laughs> I do know 
even for you to get to the point where I can play it is, <laughs> yeah. is a miracle in and of itself, you know? At least it was, and that was especially before the days of like asset flips mm. when the framework was built for you. You know, you would download a full packaged game and then maybe you'd change out one or two things. But yeah, before that, you know, when people uploaded games to whatever platform, yeah, there was always a process involved that mm-hmm. you have to build the game first. It, when you press play, the game not immediately crash. <laughs> and you have to export it to the correct format for whatever mm-hmm. the platform is and then distribute it and make sure it works on other people's hardware. Yeah. Like even even for the garbage and the shovelware, an extensive amount of effort. You know. Yeah. Cause I remember the um actually the, the first game development uh it was i guess it was a a lesson that i learned while learning multimedia fusion 2 was actually to create a walk cycle for a character and make them move mm. and like going back to what you said about taking things for granted so first off there is a a very distinct correlation between a, the way a character looks and the way a character feels to play as them and so it was a super simple character it was like a circle with two legs and he had you know you just had to make him make take steps and it was like, you know, they show you the video. You just do this, add a keyframe here, then rotate it here at the at the hip joint. And it's like, okay, I could do this. But it was the only lesson for the whole semester. And so I completely underestimated. I was like, oh, this is I could do this in a week. Why are we spending the whole time on this? Bro, at the end of that semester, my man's leg was like wrapping around 360 degrees. Yeah. And then my inputs, they weren't working. Trying to get him to go across the screen. Didn't want to do it. Physics were completely janked. Like it felt bad, it looked bad, and I spent hours on this. Yeah. And that was that's like a humbling moment is when you legitimately try to make something and it seems so simple, but then you fail at it. Because mm-hmm. that's like a pivotal moment. It's like in that moment you can either choose and say, Okay, this is way too hard. It's my bad for underestimating it. I quit. Or you can say, This is tough, it's gonna take some grit, but it'll be worth it, you know, to really figure out how to make this thing work. Yeah, you know, you know, it made me think of a question that you kind of already answered, but you might have another one. I was going to ask you, like, and I guess I'll answer now and maybe you can think of something else. But, like, what is something Uh that you underestimated in game dev that you now have a lot of, like, respect for people when they do it? And that is an example of, like, walk animations, making character controllers, stuff like that. But Uh um, so I'll, I'll say out of this and maybe you have another one is the thing that I think that I've 100% never thought, had a second thought of, never even considered the complexity in, is just simply a menu system. (laughs) Yeah. It is so hard. If you've never developed a game before, if you've never had to consider... I mean, and some people who work in, like, uh, development in general might have a like an inkling of what i'm mentioning but mm-hmm. to be honest i've made uis user interfaces um in you know actual development outside of games and i still think that game development uis are more complex sometimes oh absolutely <laughs> because the so so first for those who are not super familiar your ui is basically or menu is just how you like interface with the game before you start playing the game right you load up the game button yeah you press start and then it shows all the stuff oh like 
Do you want to start a new game? Do you want to continue? Do you want to go to settings? Do you want to do this and do that, right? Yeah. And then there's also this element that comes from game dev where the menu has to actually feel like something. Mm-hmm. Not just operate. It needs to feel like a thing. Because for a person who's starting your game, that's the first thing they experience. Yeah. First impression. Yeah. First impression. Rarely... I don't know if I've played, maybe I've, in the past, I'd have to think of one, of a game that you press, you plug it in, turn it on, goes through the, you know, intros, and then it just drops you in the game. Like, you always... Limbo, I think, is like that? Yeah, like, there's... But it's rare. Usually those really artsy games. Super rare. Super rare. Because it's hard to do. And you just, because you need to give the person, like, you have to onboard them slightly. Like, hey, what do you want to do? Hey, do you need to change any settings? Hey, do you, right. are you aware of this? Hey, you know, like, like, hey, the person might have turned the game on, but walked out the room, you know, because of right. whatever reason. Um, but yeah, like that whole process of, okay, how do I put stuff on the menu? How do I make it feel good? How do I make it represent the game that I'm going to play? How do I actually navigate from the menu to the actual game and then back to mm-hmm. the menu? How do I have settings? How do I put the headings? Where do I put it? Like that blew my mind. I spent so much time when i first started doing game dev like i started making my game and i said oh wait i need to make a menu 20 days later (laughs) you know i'm still working on (laughs) this menu haven't worked on the game so for me i feel like that's one of those things that i completely underestimated um in game yeah i 100 percent agree because not only does the menu have to be functional on its own but when you're especially like if you're in options and settings and stuff that actually is manipulating the game yes. on the backside. So yes. it has to be connected. And so it's like when you can build the menu first to where you can get into the game, but you're going to have to come back to it periodically, or at least at the end of the game to make sure, okay, this this is the volume adjustment. This is the difficulty adjustment. you know. And then very rarely, especially now in games, are the menus not like layered mm-hmm. or in like nested. Because um, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was recording some B-roll, for you know our, our YouTube videos, uh, we were playing Mario Kart, and I started it before I got through all the menus, and it was like six different screens for us to just play a Grand Prix, but it's like all the decisions that this thing is making, you know, based on me just hitting A, me taking it for granted. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. somebody painstakingly went through this, and I'm just going through it in an instant. And the only time, in in my opinion. And, you know, this is kind of maybe maybe it's a hot take, but maybe it's kind of true. Really, the only time we notice menus is if something's wrong with them. Yes. Like if the background is a JPEG that's scaled up and in the wrong resolution, that's the first thing you're going to see. <laughs> if the start button, you keep tapping it, it doesn't, it doesn't do, do anything. anything. Yeah. And it's, so like, you know, going back to what you said about the, the first impressions, like there's a whole lot of effort because that's a make or break. If <laughs> like legitimately, yeah, it sets the tone. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times this has happened. So me and Kyle, we had a series called Scratch the Itch back in the day, and Ayo. um, basically Scratch the Itch. What we do is we go to uh, itch.io and we basically choose semi-randomly games to play, right? And mm-hmm. one thing we would do is that uh, I would choose a game for Kyle to play. So Kyle would be unaware of the game, but I would choose it. But in order for me to give it to Kyle, I had to at least make sure that it booted up because I've learned that not all games actually work 
even if it loads in, <laughs> you know, like right. like Kyle said, if you press start and it, it and nothing happens, it's the worst possible experience. And you notice a game behind that <laughs> that menu, but something right. broke in the publishing process, and you're like, well, I'll never know what that game. <laughs> and now the menu is impeding you from yeah. the experience. Yeah, you know, I I think like one of the things that game dev has taught me is an absolute like resilience mm. because and and me and Kyle can talk about some of the games we made together but and like some of the things we've run into but I know that there's been times where I've run into issues maybe with manipulating AI in a particular way or wanting some type of hitbox to work a specific way or trying to get somebody to just land on the ground and not jettison themselves through the landscape <laughs> in some right. weird situation that I can't figure out where I felt like game dev was going to break me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, when I hear people say like, they really feel like gaming game development is purely a passion, something that like they, like they have to do. I get it because I feel like you can't casually do game dev. Like, you can say no. that. Like, I've, I don't know how many people I've met who's like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to do game dev for fun. Like, and I'm like, cool. Just to let you know, it's not fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not fun. It's it's an absolutely, like, a backbreaking process. Even the smallest of things. It will wreck you. Yeah. You know? Oh, so I was yeah. going to ask you, do you remember what the do you remember? first do you remember do you remember the first <laughs> game that you ever shared with somebody else like oh like either semi-blindly like hey check this out i made it or somebody who was aware of what you're doing but they'd never played it before like mm-hmm. do you remember the first time you did that and uh what yes. game it was i do but i i also didn't answer your last question though. oh so yes i'll, I'll I'll answer that one first, and then if you want to comment on what I'm going to say, which you you may have thought, yeah, then I'll I'll circle back and answer that. So my thing that I picked that I underestimated, which was probably a foolish under, underestimation, but partially I blame it on just how well game game developers have done in this area, is game cameras. Ooh, <laughs> yo. Let me just say this, Kyle, before you continue. Go ahead. There's a reason that in most of the games that me and Kyle make, I let Kyle <laughs> deal with that. Like, I'm a developer, like, for real, for real. But I genuinely have, like, like anytime we do a game, I'm like, all right, Kyle, you can handle the character controller and the camera stuff. I have no desire. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Because I've been through the fire for both of those. But everything else, yeah. So that's that's why our dynamic works is because I'll handle that dumb stuff, and then you handle the other dumb stuff like stuff actually working when people touch stuff and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to touch any of that. But anyway, so so yeah, the camera because you remember back in the day, if you had camera control at all, it was like on the bumpers or on on the triggers, and it'd be like a quick swivel or something. It'd go behind the character. But typically, it was just the camera would follow you or be stuck to a track, and you didn't have any control over it. The people were outraged because, like, man, this camera's terrible. Mm-hmm. But And then we got spoiled because as 3D platformers came out and shooters came out where the cameras got remarkably better, they wouldn't clip through walls. They wouldn't be 
unnecessarily underneath your character when you're platforming or something that like you actually see where you're jumping and it's like okay so it must be easy now because people figured it out but then there were still games coming out that had janky characters yeah. there still are <laughs> games to this day. coming out to this day that have janky cameras and it's one of the biggest gripes i see from like games journalists is game cameras because it's i think it's taken for granted because Nintendo especially, they get the camera right, you know, in their first party games. Like, I, I never have an issue. Even from, like, Mario 64. Like, they, they figured so many things out that people didn't even consider about the camera. Because it's, it's less about where the player's gaze, like, you, where you think it might be. Like, and it's more about intent. It's like, yeah. where are they headed? Where are they coming from? Is an enemy chasing them? Are they looking towards an objective? And it's like you got to think about all these things, but also same, at the same time you have to make like reasonable assumptions. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, if you want to give them camera control, then you know you, you have to build the level for that first off. Because you, if you have like flat geometry and they can turn the camera anyway, your game's gonna look really bad. But then you know if you have if you give them camera control, then you have to be able to put the camera back in a way that makes sense. Anyway, that's a lot of nonsense to say that, yeah, I completely underestimated cameras thinking that you would just put it in the game and it would just follow the character mm-hmm. and everything would be fine. And that you can't be more wrong <laughs> with that mindset. Yeah, I think that point that you made about the camera, you have to make assumptions about the camera and the player's intent is so mm-hmm. incredible. So, so like the hardest thing to me about cameras is that Cameras have context, right? Yeah. If a if a player is running on flat ground in a field, the context of how the camera will operate is different than if the character is underwater in a cavern. Yes. Or if the 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 character is jumping across platforms, or if the character is aiming, trying to hit somebody with a weapon, or if the character is actively in a fight, hand to hand combat. Or needs mm-hmm. the character needs to flee, or if the character, you know, like there's so many contexts, and you have to have a camera that is kind of smart, right? Like absolutely, and it has to be able to adapt depending on oh how close is the character to me? Oh, the character did a weird, the person controlled the character and did a weird turn, and then right. when you give the actual player care uh, camera controls, you have to think about. So this is something I want to mention in general. Is that for everything, every for every part of control that you give a player, you are now removing the ability for the player to interact with the world in a different capacity. What do I mean? If you give explain that. If you give okay, let's let's take a controller. A controller has a set like a controller for a console, right? PlayStation 5. Yeah. The PlayStation 5 has a set number of buttons. That exists mm-hmm. on the controller's face, right? Every time you give the character, the player, some control of something in the world, that means oh, the player can make the character jump, the player can make the character squat, the player can make the character aim down sights. That is a button that is a now button. taken, right, by a certain action. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to give the character camera control the player camera control that is an interface a button a joystick x y and z that is now taken and 
when you don't realize that at first, like that the camera might like, hey, we're blessed now. We have like joysticks. So that's nice because the joystick kind of can act, has different degrees and go up, down, left, right. You can click it down. Right. That's great. But like when you give somebody camera control on a keyboard, that's a right. whole nother thing. Completely different. Whole Dealing nother with thing. Mouse sensitivity. Oh my goodness. Three of the inputs, up to three inputs, maybe even more if they have one of those really high-tech mice, mm-hmm. but they're going to click while moving the camera. And mm-hmm. so you have to have a dead zone so that every time they press it, they don't just swipe and look somewhere else. You got to protect them from themselves <laughs> in those ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's too, and, too much stuff to account for. And then, and then there's like expectations of the players. What do they expect from a, a similar experience in a game that they've played before? Oh, like... Okay, I'm using mouse and keyboard. Oh, when I scroll the mouse wheel, I expect the camera to do X, Y, and Z. Or like you said, right. if I try to whip the controller, the, the the mouse left and right real fast, how fast does that camera move? Is it on a like one-to-one? Is it like logarithmic? Is it like over time? Like is it <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. How much it's crazy. stuff you have to consider for the camera. But we can talk about cameras for hours, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I 100% agree with that. So so going back to the question that I had asked a little bit earlier, do you remember your first experience sharing a game with somebody else? Like that first, Thanks for that, repeating the question because I kind of forgot. That first time. Do you remember that first time you shared a game that you created, that you made, and you shared it with somebody to view or play for the first time? Do you kind of remember that experience? I do. So... I actually still have this game, or at least a video of it. Um, it was it was made. So I'm I'm talking. I guess I'm going to talk about my first digital game, uh, mm-hmm. and so yeah, Multimedia Fusion Two, and uh, it was called Farm Return. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know where this this character came from, but it's a character that's kind of been uh, occupying space in my brain rent free since. I was about 15, hmm. and his name is Farmer Steve. No relation. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> no relation. And uh, so it's a farmer who wears periwinkle pajamas and a straw hat and some purple slippers. Like, that's his character design. I mean, he has, like, a, a kooky mustache. But the thing was, is, like, he's always in these really perilous situations. And hmm. so the first game I made, it was a, a 2D uh, side-scrolling platformer um but it was it, it was i didn't realize at the time but it was also a metroidvania and i don't know where i got the inspiration for that from but anyway so you start off and you're steve and it's one it's only one level but the metroidvania part comes in you have to find keys to open doors to other pathways pathways you get to first you don't it's only the keys and that's as far as it goes so you don't unlock new abilities and stuff and so uh Farmer Steve was equipped with, he's got a double jump and he's got a kick. And so I, I spent months, you know, developing this game, doing some, uh, I did all the animations, all the artwork, um, all the pixel art because it was a 2D game. I did some voiceover for it. I made some music for it, like poured my heart and soul into this thing. And I knew the controls were a little rough, but I was like, they, I, they can't be that bad. And so I got the I got the game to a functioning order. You know, you could play through the game, and who did I get to test it? Either my friend, one of my best friends, Jordan, or my brother. Um, but whoever I got to play it, the feedback was always kind of similar. You know, 
they, this is this game is really hard. Yeah. Is what they would tell me. <laughs> it was a very nice way of saying this game is very bad. <laughs> because so I didn't understand iframes, and there were enemies in this game. Uh, I didn't understand um, how to properly allocate resources because uh, so the enemies in the game were zombies. And the zombies had varying abilities. One was just a zombie who walked on his hands. Uh, the other one had a gun. And then the other one would just run at you. And so the one that walked on his hands was fine. He was smaller. And uh, so his, he was always easy to hit. The one that would run at you was fine. But his AI was completely random. He, he didn't know <laughs> where the player was. He would just stay in this little zone and run back and forth. But it was, it was random in the way that it would ping pong between which direction he was running. But his speed that he would run at was random. His highest speed was faster than the player. Oh, man. And oftentimes, he would choose to run directly at the player and not not turn away or anything. And so it was like automatic damage. And the last one, which was the most egregious, was the zombie who had a gun. Now, the problem with the zombie that had a gun was he would shoot off screen. (laughs) What you think would happen was that you would see the bullets, right? The bullets would come in off screen. But because I was doing so poorly allocating resources, the bullets would actually queue at the edge of the screen. Mm. And so when you walked into the zone to where you could see the bullets, there'd be like 30 of them. 30 of them getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> occupying one space and you get insta-killed uh, because you just walked into a plethora of bullets, which also moved faster than the player. Of course. And were about the size of a pixel. Of course. <laughs> um so, yeah, so that was my first experience. And then, you know, getting that feedback, I was able to iterate a little bit. I fixed the things that I knew how to fix, but it's it's still nearly unplayable to this day because of those games. <laughs> There's no salvaging. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but, yeah, that, so that's my, my first official game dev experience. What about you? Man, so, you know, I... I th- I was thinking about it, and I would make a point like, oh, it's this point. And I'm like, no, it was this point. And I kept going back and further. And now Mm. I'm not 100% sure who it was. But I do remember the experience and that same (laughs) the feedback and how I felt. So uh, I think I I mentioned this. My first game that I ever made was called Noja. Noja. Like I said, it was like a playoff of Jonah, and I had this... Like, so, so one thing I'll say to every person who's ever thought to do game development, I bet you, mm-hmm. I, 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 okay, I can pretty much guess exactly how you think about games. If you've never done <laughs> game development, what you do is you say to yourself, man, I have a really cool idea. Yeah. That's I have where a it starts. really cool story or story. world or, and it's normally or story character. and world, character, something like that. My, my OC. And, oh, man. I really want to make this story come to life and it would be yeah. best suited for a game. Let me tell you this right now. 99% of people who think that are absolutely wrong. <laughs> the, <laughs> the best games that have ever been created actually rarely start with the story in the game solely, but yep. they normally start with a mechanic or something that the designer wants the character to the, the player to feel or accomplish yeah not the story to do the story kind of normally is created over time vehicle a vehicle for that so anywho i started like every other game developer designer who has knows nothing i had a cool story 
Noja, Jonah. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what it is at this point. I probably have written in some notebook. Anyway, I developed this thing with no feedback from anybody, right? Oopsie. And I was in, like, not that I was embarrassed of this. I just had a lot of pride and was fear fearful of somebody playing it until I thought it was ready. Till it was mm, gangster, right? Man, if that isn't a game <laughs> development pitfall, I don't know what is. <laughs> and, and it's funny because the reason that I eventually shared it with somebody is because of GDC and at that time, making that game, I was absolutely absorbing every piece of a GDC or game development con- conference content possible. Every old mm-hmm. talk, every new talk, talks from the one in Europe, the one in Canada, the one in... Te- it didn't matter where it was. I was absorbing it. And one thing that somebody would say is that objectivity... S- subjectivity destroys a game. Objectivity makes it better. You need feedback. And also, you should be willing to throw away bad ideas, no matter how attached you are to them. Yeah, I did not understand this concept until somebody <laughs> played my game the first time. <laughs> I sit them in front of my laptop, uh, and once again, I'm not a designer, so a lot of like my image, my imagery for my game was really rudimentary. And as Kyle was mentioning earlier, there's like this thing that's really important <laughs> to understand. That like your character in a game kind of has to make sense to the person playing it. And has to. there's this dissonance that happens when the character <laughs> doesn't do what somebody expects <laughs> when, mm-hmm. they, when they look at it on the screen, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I'm making pixel art is terrible. Anyway, I just remember the person playing the game and I'm like, okay, I've made this level, it has platforming. They're going to do this, they got to jump on this, and they're going to jump here, and they're going to jump here, jump here. I just remember them being, like, moving the character around. They were able to do that. And being, like, stuck at the very first obstacle. Mm. Not being able to jump on the first platform and being like, oh, hey. Like, and being super confused on what they're supposed to do. Ooh. They were just like, what What am I supposed to do? I'm like, oh. And I'm like, I don't want to tell them what to do. I want them to experience it. Right. And, and them like pressing button, the keyboard and being like, okay, so jump is this. And like my timing for my jumps was super, super narrow. Like you had to perfectly press it. And <laughs> the gravity was super harsh. <laughs> like it was like super, like 10 times stronger than normal gravity. And them not being able to make that first jump. And then, like, watching them for five minutes and then me trying to explain to them, no, 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 all you do is you press this and do this. And them trying that and not being able to do it. Try this and this, Mm. not being able to do it. And then them kind of, like, watching their spirit break in front of me and eventually them, like, sitting back and leaning back in their chair and being like, uh, this is kind of hard. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems cool, (laughs) but, like, wait, what? And me being, like, my whole spirit breaking. (laughs) right there and then me having to show them how to play the game and them watching me and them going oh yeah Mm -hmm. that i don't know like them being super confused and like realizing wow i spent hours and hours and days and days and weeks right and thinking i made this great experience and within the course of five minutes somebody literally making no progress and also actively telling me I don't get it, and also they're my yeah. friends, so they don't want to crush my spirit, but me right. knowing them thinking, this is the worst thing I've ever played in my life, 
I don't know if we're gonna be friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was it was humbling. Yeah, it, it it truly is to have someone interact with something that you made, especially when you're confident in it in that way. Because I think one of the things that happens in those scenarios is that you get you get blinded mm-hmm. because you're so close to the project, right? Yes, and, and so you become really good at it. Becomes second nature because you spent hours playing it and so like you really don't have a a true gauge for anything that's happening in your game after a certain point and it's like even to come back to a game a couple years later after working on it for those hours and hours that stuff stays like that is deeply embedded and so it's like you have that but it's like it's also the hardest thing to get that feedback because you're not going to reject your yourself Mm -hmm. and any ideas you do Say, oh no, maybe it's not such a great idea. You're going to be super light on yourself, and you might even leave it in the game because you know it was like, oh, I thought of it and it's cool, so I just want to leave it. But yeah, but yeah, if, to have that experience, that I wouldn't trade it though, because to not have that insight and to be like stuck in the dark of not really knowing how to make something for someone else to enjoy. Yeah, it's like game dev for not i mean you can you can make games just for yourself like i'm not saying that that's a bad thing but if you intend to make them for other people you have to open yourself up to this type of feedback yeah i think that's one thing that by the time that me and kyle met uh each other and if you haven't listened to our origin story which is like what episode four three four or five or something i can't remember in uh it's back there but um I think by the time me and Kyle met each other and started working together, I think we both had experienced the gut check enough where we were able to receive it and then be like, okay, that's just like subjectively objective. Like, yes, that's coming from your perspective, but that is just the truth. And I have to accept that your truth and and I'm not going to say that truth is different, but like that a person's perspective on my game does not match mine. And mm-hmm. then I have to get over that. Like I have to. And I think that I've seen enough creatives, even outside of game dev who make no, have no success in their career because they're not willing to accept that they aren't the person who's going to really evaluate the quality of their product. Right. And the value, the yeah. value that's that's, I think, even better way to say it. the value of your product, no matter how much time you spend it, no matter how great it is and how masterful it was done. It doesn't matter if nobody is, gives any value to it. Right. Like if they right. think it's garbage, it doesn't matter. And I have seen it over and over and over again for people who are aspiring artists, creative game developers, musicians, dancers, mm-hmm. you name it. Somebody comes to them and says, hey, just some feedback. I think X. How that person responds, I think, determines their future. It makes all the difference. You know, like, do you go, huh? I like I think for me, my first response was, oh, well, the reason I did this and I'm trying to explain it. Right. The reason I did that. The reason I did this. The reason I did that. And the person going, "Okay, okay, but your game is still trash. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter what my perspective is it's still trash and then me going okay i need to make that better not mm-hmm. well you don't really understand my game and you don't really get what i'm going for 
Like, maybe it's not for you. That is not a response you can have if you ever want to make something great. Like, you have to be willing, you know? Yeah, because I think there's also a difference between receiving the feedback and actually evaluating it versus just accepting all feedback. Because some people, sometimes it will be personal feedback from somebody and it doesn't necessarily mean that your game is bad. Yeah. But the, the, the fact, the point is that you need to receive all of it to some degree. Like, don't just shut it down because there's a, a good chance that a lot of it is going to be valid mm-hmm. and players are going to share it, that same perspective. And so if you can just be, yeah, just being willing to, to, to hear it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to, now I want to share, and you may be, I assume you've had a similar experience. So when you start sharing your games with people, they give you feedback, Mm -hmm. right? And personally, for most of my experience making games, most of it was negative feedback with a little bit of like, oh, like I see where you're going or, oh, that was a cool idea. Or like, as I kept on iterating forward and I think the moment I realized that I love creating things and that this Mm -hmm. resonates with me was the first time somebody played something I made and they were enjoying it and I could just watch them enjoy it. There's, I'll be honest, that is the high. That is the drug that keeps me at this. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like for me, one is creative expression. Like to me, definitely, I love making it and I love doing it and I do it because I want to. But when you get that first time, and I think for me, it was my second game, Chef of Fire, where of fire. I made it and I'd gotten feedback and I finally let somebody play it. And I and they went into that zone yeah, where they weren't. I wasn't there anymore. And they were just playing the game. And I just watched them. I watched them do things that I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I watched them solve problems in ways that I never thought were possible. Ooh. I watched them run into an obstacle, stop and think about it, try it again, stop and think about it, try it differently, make some improvements, and get past it. And then go, ugh! Like, get that little, like, I did it. Yeah. Right? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. That moment of, so, players, people that play your game are not going to play like you expect them to. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's an unwritten rule of game dev. <laughs> it's the whole reason why, like, people can make whole YouTube careers finding bugs and glitches and breaking boundaries is because as a game dev, you can do everything in your power. To, to try and institute laws within your game <laughs> and convince people to play the game how you intended. And even they may even have the right motive at heart where they want to play the game as you intended. But because they're a different person than you, they're going to have different uh, different ways of going about it. Like They're just going to be inclined. It's like you were saying, just, just fundamentally, they're going to approach this completely different. Like... You put two boxes next to each other and you say, hey, stand on this box and you give the character ability to jump. Somebody's going to jump on one box and then jump from that one to the other. Mm -hmm. And somebody else is going to figure out how to glitch on the wall 
and then jump from the wall yep. to the box. Like it's somebody's gonna clip through the clip through the wall and ignore the boxes entirely and somehow find a plane to where they can get to the last level and make a speed run of your game. Like it's gonna it's gonna happen. <laughs> yes. And so like those are the valuable lessons and feedback that you because when you're when you're making the game, I think arguably you can get pigeonholed and like tunnel vision and you only play the game as you intended to be played. And so like you're measuring how well the game is against that. So getting that feedback against people who aren't going to play the game as it's intended to be played on purpose or not is something you just can't get anywhere else. Yes. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the story because I think this is something for me and Kyle that's very personal. And I think a game development experience that I think has changed a lot of how we make games, how we approach games, the tools we use, our approaches is our first, I would say, collaborative release and like first like release that kind of had every element we might have wanted in a game and that we felt really good about, which is Amber. Now, Amber. Man, Amber... Amber, first of all, it's hard to explain to somebody the way that Amber was created <laughs> and, and how it started and where it is now. And, you know, God willing, yeah. one day we'll be able to work on Amber again. Um, we'll see what, what his path is for us. But, you know, like Amber was just literally kind of this outpouring of creative. It's the definition of a passion project. Yes. Like. I so alright. I'm gonna try my best not to like this story can go super long. So I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> so you know, once again, origin of me and Kyle becoming friends and working together. So we worked at IBM together and I was I was aware of Kyle because of another friend that we mutually have. Shout out to Adman. Adman Adman um, Adam. Um so like I remember seeing Kyle start working at our building like at ibm i was like oh this is black dude with a fro i was like you know like and also like i'm like you know let me not talk to every black person that i see <laughs> like you Yo, know you know if, if we that cross, ain't real <laughs> like if we cross paths like it is what it is but anyway um because of adam <laughs> i found out that kyle was like into game dev but like me and kyle had never really interacted really even mm -hmm. though we were a few desks away from each other like rows of desks we yeah. just never interacted. No, no, nothing behind it. We just never did. Um, because Adam, we started talking, like, he didn't know each other, like, talking about game dev stuff together. And I don't know, like, me and Kyle had some kind of conversation. And I told him about a particular um, set of videos that really had inspired me in game dev. <laughs> and it, uh, for those who are not familiar, game trailers. I'm sorry, not game trailers. Game Informer. They uh -huh. had this series called Replay. And basically all they did is replay. they replayed old games. And the big spin on it was that they had like every game that was like ever released in what they called their vault. It was and, wild. And they would just grab games. And there's this one game called Tale of the Sun. And <laughs> they were so enamored by this game, they made this thing called Super Replay. Where they not just played the game for a little bit, like, oh, like, oh, remember this game? They played through the whole entirety of the game. All of it. And for anybody who's never seen Tale of the Sun, I really encourage you to look up the Game Informer super replay of <laughs> Tale of the Sun. Tale of the Sun. There is no game that exists 
That's like wasn't that so. game from a cereal box? Like you get so, a disc. In so like I think it was an actual flakes. game, but it was like sponsored or inspired by a cookie company. Oh, it's, it's really weird. Inspired by <laughs> that would be better. Long story short. <laughs> I shared this set of videos with Kyle because I'd seen him before when I was in college. I was like, yo, I think you'd get something out of this. And I rewatched it. He re- he watched it. And we just were inspired by something in there. Like, I don't know. Do you remember? <laughs> like, it had to be the open world quirkiness and the... I do. Yeah. Like, it, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it was. I think it was just how that game was just so unpredictable. Yes. And whenever it felt like the people who were playing it had a foothold and they were starting to understand what was happening, something else completely out of the blue mm-hmm. would happen. But it would exp- it would sort of like explain something else, and it would also <laughs> make it would also make progress. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, it, because one of the biggest things that we pulled from it that we put in Amber was that we didn't tell the player anything mm-hmm. in the first version of Amber. And Taylor the Sun did it so well. Yes. Yeah. I think but, I think I think the word that we came down to was discovery. Because Yeah, discovery. Because it was like this weird thing where you really felt like you were discovering the world in Tale of the Sun. Like they'd go mm-hmm. north or south or whatever, and it was like a whole nother world to them. <laughs> like they had landmarks. Oh, the Panther Pit, Ganon, the Mammoth. Like like it was so much uh like north town or so it, like they had all these things and they'd explore and then the game had like death in it so you die and then have to restart and then have to re-explore and like you'd also get lost and they're mapping the world anyway the stamina going, mechanic yo i gotta go back and rewatch <laughs> it son it was such an experience it's been long enough where i really have forgotten a lot of it but um it inspired amber and we but really we didn't have a plan we were just like yo no. let's just make something I don't. Even, I can't even remember how we came into this concept, you know, and it just so happened, you know, Marcus asked about tools. So one of the tools that me and Kyle have used a lot is Unity, and Unity game engine. Unity is definitely one of the most popular, most well known, most probably most dabbled with <laughs> um, game engine. Very user friendly. Very user friendly, easy, accessible, free, and we both used Unity separately. But one thing that had happened at the same time was that Unity started this thing called Colab. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's all timing. Like, so Colab it really was. essentially was this ability for you to collaborate with somebody else, you know, over the internet. So if Kyle made a change, I would see that change on my side. For those who work in game development, it was basically a repo with, you know, a history, right? And yeah, but it also managed your digital assets, you know, your visuals, your code, your everything within you, everything. And it was user friendly, like so user friendly that Kyle, who is not a developer, could easily use it. And well, not easily. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff we learned, but <laughs> relatively it was still new. Use it. So. What happened is, like, I never used Colab. He never used Colab, but I had just discovered it. I was like, yo, let's use Colab and, like, start working on a joint project inspired by Tale of the Sun. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't, you know, Kyle, I def- definitely, I feel like we've talked about this before, but 
definitely one of my favorite game dev experiences of all time because me and Kyle have both have a similar energy when it comes to creativity, but we're also like very different. So what would happen is, I don't know who started it. Maybe it was me, maybe it was you. Um, but we had this kind of open world concept. We had come up with this idea. Oh, you know, we're going to have these boulders and you're going to break them. And it's like making an impasse. And your whole goal is to get to get to this town and blah, blah, blah. Like our first starting. And like what would happen is me and Kyle would work separately from each other. Like mm-hmm. maybe one evening I'd work, another evening he'd work. And what we would do is just submit our code and publish it (laughs) and then we'd like at first it started off where we'd just be like hey i added boulders to this area hey i added a pig uh blah 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 and then it became a thing where one of us would go uh something new was added maybe you'll figure it out or something so obscure yeah (laughs) so if we ever needed to go back in history we were setting ourselves up so bad so badly so badly (laughs) but but what it was it was like messages to each other and and then we'd load in. Maybe I'd load in, and I'd notice there was a new boulder in the world. Like we would always position it in a way that you could not not see it. You know? Yeah. Once you hit play, it was you, in it was view. there. So I'd see like, oh, Kyle added a new boulder, but like it was always like a surprise. <laughs> like you know, like it'd be a setup. Like uh, I remember at one point, <laughs> um, we created this ability to open chests. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had made the script where essentially you could put pretty much anything in the chest. Anything. Right. Yeah. And so what we would do is like we started putting in puzzles and like stuff like that. And we might put random stuff in the chest. And I remember one time, like I, I, I can't remember who started this, but it was like we made a puzzle <laughs> and the person made the puzzle and the chest was there. And then you have to open the chest. But the chest spawned like the most evil enemy in the game <laughs> Mur- yeah murder so bear. we created the murder bear where what were the origins of murder bear i don't even remember so I, it's very so this is very personal to me so y'all y'all are truly listening to me and kyle have a conversation like like we're, we're going <laughs> off the rails so we'll, we'll bring it back so murder bear murder, bear, murder co- bear comes from a concept i had a long time ago where i was like wouldn't it would be super cool in a game to have an entity that <laughs> was just pure, like, chaotic neutral. And rage. Yes. And, like, super powerful, but you never know where they're going to be. And they don't have, like, a goal that's very obvious to you. And they would just, like, roam the map. And you may encounter them at any mm-hmm. point in the game. So it's like, my mind was like, what if there's, like, this creature that walked around, roamed around the map didn't really wasn't aware of your presence until you interacted with it and then it would just murder you that first time and you'd be like what in the world like (laughs) but it was like you wouldn't necessarily know where it was and murder bear was that murder bear was just basically an overpowered enemy who just roamed the world (laughs) with his own volition and but when you encountered it would murder you like because Point blank. Because Murder Bear started off sort of when he was first brought into the game as a normal bear. But then eventually <laughs> we made the decision to make him walk upright. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a bear running at you with his arms stretched out <laughs> on two legs. Full sprint. And he's significantly faster than you. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> it's just, it just You don't know what's happening. He just comes off screen. Boom. And you're dead. 
And the whole and the whole goal was that he was kind of like you could everybody's experience with Murder Bear would be completely different. Like mm-hmm. the first time they interact, and eventually you'd be able to kill Murder Bear, and there'd be something. Oh, oh, and then eventually, man, I'm we're getting deep into Murder Bear deep. because eventually we created a lair for Murder Bear, and if you interacted with Murder Bear's lair, wherever yeah. he was on the map, he would get alerted <laughs> and run to you. And murder you. So he could be like right around the corner so he'd get there fast. Sometimes it would take like five solid minutes because he's so far away. On the other side of the map, but he's, figuring out pathing. But he's full sprinting to you to come murder you. <laughs> <laughs> I think at one point we actually did have, whenever you found his lair, because we set it up, it was kind of kind of clever. Because you, it was on a part of the map where you had to make, make your way through this forest where there mm-hmm. were dangers. And there's a murder bear statue inexplicably. And then the way to get into his lair, unless you glitched it, you had to be at a certain level to break down the boulder. In front of his house. Yes. Yeah. And so then when you walked in, I'm pretty sure we, we had a message that said, like, something's not right. Or I yes. feel a disturbance. Yes. Or something like that. I feel a chill on my spine or something like that. It was <laughs> yeah. Some, but it's like, okay. Because what we did was, so Murder Bear's lair was this long hallway. And at the end of it was like eight chest <laughs> so you earned it to go in there and you wouldn't get the the message until you were at the chests opening them and then the way we had the camera position was so you walk into the hallway mm-hmm. and so you can't see the entrance anymore and so, <laughs> so that's where murder bear would come in yes and just murder it was dark in there <laughs> it, it was uh, we were kind of evil we were evil but but the whole prog like the whole you know like the whole de- development of this game was this like yeah. this like pure creative energy. Oh, I came up with a new idea. Check it out. Came up with a new idea, and then like maybe I'd iterate on it, or, and then Kyle would iterate on it, and then we'd make it a thing. And it was always just these pieces and puzzles, and and essentially like to be very honest, there are puzzles, there are like secrets in the game that I think we both are unaware of. Meaning, I put something in that Kyle doesn't know I put in. And Cal put something in that I don't know he put in. So, and it's just in, yeah. in, in the world, you know? And I think <laughs> if we play it now, we wouldn't even be aware of our own things that we've done. So, <laughs> like, we'd have to go into development mode and look through all the assets to maybe figure out what we were doing. So, man, you know, so we've done, we went through this, we, you know, inspired by all this stuff we're creating, and we're just building this world. But eventually, in the process, I kind of like, hey, Kyle, we should actually release this. Like, we should actually yeah. publish this. Because we were like, so Steve, this is kind of where Steve enters the story. And going back to how we were talking about getting feedback, I remember we made the game, and we had this whole mentality. We're going to tell the player nothing. There's going to be nothing. no HUD, no UI on the screen when you're playing. It's just going to be you and the player and their pickaxe, which is their main way to operate in the world. And the pe- person's going to have to figure it out all on their own. We let Steve yep. play Do you remember Steve's feedback? <laughs> uh, not exactly, no. What did he say? Steve was like, this game plays horribly or something. Like, it controls horribly. What's happening? Why am I doing this? Like, Steve was just <laughs> going in. Like, he was real. He was. Like, I do remember that. He's like, the controls don't make it. How do I do a thing? How do I know what my health is? What's happening? Why is this person attacking me? He was just like breaking down everything. 
And one thing I've always appreciated about Steve, he's a straight shooter, right? He is. So we're just watching him play, but he's just breaking this all down. And he's has, and this is one of those moments where we have to make a decision. Are we going to stick with our original vision of making a game that gives you no feedback? Or realize that the best experience for a player is for them to have an idea of what's going on, but to keep it as minimal as possible, but right. still give them information that helps them, you know? Yeah, because our intent, it was, I think it was more inspired by not spoon feeding information by having a bunch of like text boxes and UI all over the place because that's what Tale of the Sun did. But then, yeah, what Steve made us aware of is that things just simply, in that effort, we didn't make things clear. Mm -hmm. And it's like, because we were building it, you know, we knew where it started, what the intent was, how to solve it. And so we didn't need clarity. We would just go do it. But for somebody who's, picked up the controller for the first time, has to figure out the character controller, why the camera doesn't move, how the game operates, what their motivation should be. They have they have questions beyond even what like mechanics. It's yeah. just like why why is anything? Yeah. It's just complete like you know I you know it's like it's hard from a game developer standpoint to understand that like you take for granted some of the knowledge that you have, right? Like Oh, for sure. You come into the game you're making these things so they're all obvious to you but somebody who's never playing and and i was so happy with that because it really inspired us and to have some creative solutions that still like made the game still a minimal level of hud Mm -hmm. but with some like immersive ui so like kyle came up with this whole idea of like oh like you could have people's health like in the game not on the ui but like in the world itself right um yeah and then like eventually we kyle started adding in these ideas for having like equipment and because he started adding in that he started adding these visual indicators that were actually in game like oh this thing is like your health your like there's just a lot of immersive ui immersive visual feedback that i think has kind of inspired us further in our game development you know um, and I feel like without that feedback, we would have never thought to go that way, you know, for sure. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it caused us to innovate because like you were saying, we weren't, we were kind of stubborn in a way <laughs> that we weren't yeah. willing to completely course correct and reverse it and say, okay, we're going to put a HUD. We're going to have a menu that has all the controls in it. You know, we didn't we didn't course correct that hard, but and so the only thing to do in between was to make new and creative solutions mm-hmm. that fulfilled what the player needs, but also didn't um, go against what our initial goals were. And so yeah, that's where the immersive UI elements came from. Yeah, like icons only being present when they were contextual, mm-hmm. and then whenever you pick something up, it having particle effects. That showed you what it was attributed to, or we even put in some cutscenes. You know, oh, yeah. when you pick certain things up, like yeah. So when you leveled up the axe, you created that cutscene where the axe would show it would come to the to the screen and show you that you leveled it up. When you pick up an item that affects something else across the map, the camera would pan over. So you'd be like, okay, that's where I need to go next. Still with no words, you know, no voices, all still just sounds and visuals. Yeah, which is what we were going for. And I think, I think, you know, it really came together in a way that we never thought. And 
you know, this is probably the first time <laughs> we we had immersive menus, like very creative ways to display how you're leveling and how things were working. We also experimented with uh, multiple controller support, right? Like oh, man. that whole yeah. effort. Uh, the first time we made a UI that could be used with a controller, a keyboard, a mouse, like it is crazy how many elements, but, but the big thing that, I, that came out of that whole experience and why I still see it as one of my favorite game dev experience was the, the actual push to publish. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a person who's never made a game before, we've already talked about some of the things that, you know, we underestimated like, Oh, yeah. like the UI or, you know, uh, making characters or uh, what was the other thing we said um the camera cameras but the thing that you really underestimate mm-hmm. is what does it take to get this game out there finished and like wrapped up and cleanly done yeah published published in a way that you don't have to even like one thing that i used to do in the past i'd make a game and then it would be finished, but what I would have to do is a lot of, like, explanation on the front end before somebody plays it. Oh, like, be aware that this is, like, this how it is, and you got to do this and this and this and that, right? If I just put it out there in the wild, somebody might not be able to play it at all, you know? Um, I did publish a few games before on the Android App Store, but the Android it was always very limited experiences with very few mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I also would have to have, you know, I'd have to do tutorials and stuff like that. And but this was a completely different experience because it was like an end to end from menu to credits, you know, like, yeah. And then we're going to put on a platform where we would probably have no direct interaction with people who played it Mm -mm, unless they reached out to us. Yeah. So do you remember how that felt like that last like three weeks? (laughs) Yeah. So. Because, and I, I I said this before, but I'll say it again, that I appreciate your push to, like, for us to be intentional, setting a deadline, and having a goal to reach when it came to publishing the game. Because, as before, because I'd made a couple games, I was completely content with seeing how far the game went, and, you know, that being it, we make personal builds on our computers, maybe mm-hmm. share it with a couple friends. You know, the, the same typical thing you do whenever you quote-unquote finish a game. And so I appreciate you pushing us to go that extra mile and actually publish it to a platform. Because, yeah, it did It did bring up... like We, we found the most things wrong with our game, I think, in those final three weeks. Because we yeah. were doing, like, testing. Yeah. And we had to play through the game through its entirety... A, a dozen times Man. and sometimes we used you know dev tools most of the time not especially when we did like local builds there were no dev tools for us to use we had to play the game vanilla and then this is also or you'd already implemented but we were strategically i guess if you will testing so the ending ui that shows you all your metrics and then the saving and loading Man. and all those different things that, again, we take for granted about games. You know, a, a game should save your progress. Everybody knows this, but that's not free. 
<laughs> so, like you got to put that in there on purpose. Like the re- like games back in the day had codes to to get to a certain stage because that junk is 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 taxing to yeah. put into a game. And then you you if you add on the modern features like custom character builds, you know, where they're wearing every single piece of armor somebody's wearing has to be accounted for mm-hmm. in that save data. And the moment it's not everybody has a cow, this should be easy. But it's like just saving what stage somebody is on takes effort. True story. So anyway, that's a bit of a rant. <laughs> but the last three weeks showed us, like it shined a light on all these things because we were at the point to where legitimately we were thinking this is going out for someone else to play. Mm-hmm. Like, well, when if they come to us to play it, we still have some control over the experience because you know we're standing next to them or we emailed to them, so they're going to email us back because we know them personally. But like you said, uh, there there's a good chance once we put it out there, we're not going to know mm. who's going to download the game, who's going to try to play it. And so it's like trying to really think about those things was something that we wouldn't have been intent about, at, intense about if we weren't trying to publish it. Yeah, it, it just gives, it, it gave me so much respect for like AAA games or games oh, that yeah. are 40 hour experiences with like our game, if I would say an average playthrough might take what would you say like four, 45 minutes to an hour two hours i don't remember like, i remember seeing though that people we didn't know that were playing the game were playing for you know half a dozen hours yeah to 10 hours like it's so like if you if you knew everything you could probably get it done in an hour 45 minutes an hour if you knew what you were doing yeah but you could get to the win condition because we set it up to where you didn't have to finish very much of the game to be able to get to the end credits. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to know what the end credits trigger is. And then, yeah, so if you did a streamlined approach, I, yeah, I would say 45 minutes to an hour is reasonable. Yeah, because one of our main things that we wanted to do with the game as well, one of our like guiding principles is that you could play the game the way that you wanted to play it. Like we gave you your main objective Kind of, sort of. <laughs> we kept it, like, yeah. generally vague. But there was this one mechanic. But you could do anything. You could go here. You could fight bosses. You could get level up your stuff. You could get new equipment. But honestly, there's only one mechanic that mattered. Your pickaxe hitting rocks. And that would go up as long as you broke rocks. And eventually, you get your pickaxe high enough level where you'd be able to go up this staircase, which would take you to the end sequence, Right? And if you beat yep. that end sequence, you get the credits and, you know, boom. But it was, you know, a few hours experience. Now, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about a game like Grand Theft Auto or Assassin's Creed or right. Breath of the Wild. I was just thinking, like, the, the amount of effort we put in to button up those last pieces. Yeah. To fix every weird little edge case or... You know, how many playthroughs I did personally, I don't know. So, us combined, <laughs> who knows how many hours we've personally played the game. But like you said, some oh, things you can't hundreds. be sure works unless you went through the whole experience and got to the end. And then it, and the worst feeling is you get to that end sequence and something yeah. breaks. And you had to spend an hour plus 
to do all this stuff just to find one minuscule issue that you might not even be able to solve <laughs> easily. <laughs> where now you have to yeah. go into the code, try to mimic that scenario so you can figure out what went wrong. Right. And just boom. And we had a deadline. We had a date. We knew when we were going to do it. And just and, and this is where the game development is no longer. And we already said game development isn't fun. But like, if you want game <laughs> development to break you, it's in this moment where you're mm-hmm. putting the the finishing touches, make, making sure the save works right, making sure that the leveling up, the menu, the credits, adding in the credits correctly, making sure it takes you back to the beginning screen at the end of the credits. Like these right. little pieces you don't think about. It will break you. <laughs> it will. It will drag you through the mud. You'll be questioning everything. Like, is this really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, does it really matter? Because it's not like somebody else was putting this pressure on us. It was self-imposed. And so I feel like that's a lot of the reason why we can kind of brush off, I guess, the 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 more difficult parts of game dev, at least in my opinion, yeah. or in, in my experience, is because if it's just me telling me to do it and it makes me uncomfortable, but it's like when you do it, you're a thousand percent better for it just for experiencing it mm-hmm. and and you walk away with this understanding from the very beginning like i feel like when we do games now like like we haven't made a game in a while but like say we did Except a game jam mm-hmm. we already have in mind the things that we need to have to like the base level things that need to be done in order for this to be a complete experience Yep. Like, oh, you need a menu. You need to be able to save. You need to be able to quit. You need to be able to have, you know, a pause. You need to be able to, you know, like, there's things right. you just don't think through until you go through it one time, you know? You got to be there. And yeah, it was a tough experience. But the reason I bring up this whole experience is because the ending, when we finally were like, we're good. This is it. We're hitting publish. Mm-hmm. And the number one, it was cathartic to get it done, to be like, we're done. Knowing we'd probably have to go back and make some minor fixes here or there. Somebody found something. Yeah, we had a couple of updates. But like, it was done. And Kyle wasn't there for it live, but I was able to share the video with him. Is when we had somebody we knew, one of our good friends, shout out to Smiles, play the game. Like, with very, he had no understanding of what we were doing he had no idea what was going on i just hey you want to come over and just play my game i think steve was there watching maybe another friend and i just video recorded him playing it and to see somebody fully immersed in our world like i know like it almost makes me emotional to think about like all that still giving me chills you know right now saying? man all the work we went through and seeing somebody play it in that little like wow moment that little yeah yo or they figure out a puzzle or they discover something or they do something i was not expecting like i was saying before (laughs) every time like they do like yo i would have never thought to solve that puzzle that way i would have never thought to approach the problem that way and to Mm -hmm. see like the the intent like them wanting to keep playing and and like the best part of it all and the thing that neither of us probably thought about was that we made a game that was an experience for the person playing and the person watching. 
Like yeah, it's a it's a good it's a it's a pretty good game to spectate. Yeah. Like n- yeah. we never thought about it. But like a lot mm-hmm. of what it is is mystery and discovery and these puzzles that we give you little hints but you don't really know. But when you have somebody sitting in a room with you like, "Hey, try this." Right. "Hey, go here." "Hey, you know, and like them working together like Honestly, man, like I was like, this is it. <laughs> like, this is what I yeah. want to do, you know? Cause that that's the experience you can only kind of facilitate by giving someone, you know, a sandbox, but then having that feedback along the way that says, This isn't intuitive. You know, this this should be this could be a little bit more clear. Because then cause in Smile's experience, you know, he wasn't trying to worry about the mechanics. Like it was, it got to the point to where he was just able to, like you said, get in, get immersed in the game, and it's like something like that. It makes it all worth it at the end, because I have a couple of videos too of people playing it, and it's like one of the one of the biggest things you'll hear whenever you create something is the term "you made this," <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and and there's two inflections. It's like, oh, you made this, <laughs> or you made this, yeah, you know. And it's like we were getting that second one more often mm. than the first one. <laughs> thankfully. Yes. Um thankfully. because I did see some people some people play it and they would they hadn't played a game much before, especially a 3D game, so they were kind of bewildered and so they kept dying to like falling in the water and stuff. You see that. But then other people who have played 3D games before saying, Oh, this feels good enough, you know, to be that's our first release, so you gotta set the bar at a reasonable place. And for them to say, oh, this is good enough to where they feel like they're getting better at the game. Like, things are becoming more intuitive. They're progressing at a rate that makes sense. You know, like to have somebody get better, mm-hmm. you, to be to experience somebody getting better at your game is like a really cool feeling. Yes. That means that, means that you put in the, the things, the pieces that makes it a game where like you can actually get better. It's like... It's not just that, oh, the game is impeding me from progress. There's the player who's going gaining skills and becoming better at jumping, better at attacking, better at movement, better at considering problems. You know what I'm saying? Like we Exactly. We, we create and, and I, I agree with you, man. That like that that wait, you made this? Like that right there is it. You you have to, you have to understand. <laughs> like it talks about in the Bible. I'm gonna I'm gonna get real spiritual for a second. It, Break it down. It talks about how Jesus goes to his hometown to perform miracles, right? Number one, we're not comparing ourselves to Jesus, so just check that. Like, just just, just know that for sure. But one thing is, like, Jesus is, you know, if you believe in Jesus or not, just as far as what he's representing in the Bible, he's a miracle worker, he's healing people, he's mm-hmm. preaching the good word of God, and people are amazed all around, right? He comes home. He's been doing this for a while. And it says Jesus didn't perform many miracles in his hometown because people didn't believe in him. Right. And I always was thinking to myself, why is this? And it's because they knew Jesus. Right. Like they <laughs> was familiar. They familiar. Like, oh, you talk about Jesus who tripped and fell down the steps that time. Man, that boy ain't doing no miracles. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? You saw him grow up. Man. So, yeah. so to see, you know, and once again, we're not comparing ourselves to Jesus, but to feel like people who know you who know you don't have skills <laughs> you know what i'm saying who've seen you when you were making nausea or 
our first <laughs> trash games to play our game and to go like, yo, like to be having fun, to actually not think we made it or to to just be like, wow, this was fun. This was solid. <laughs> you know, like right. that's it, man. Like for one to me, it's like if one person enjoys it, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. And that's a that's another thing about and it's kind of a lesson that I've been learning more and more as I've been getting gaining less time as an adult is the idea of playing a game and getting value out of it versus playing a game and then the value being linked to you finishing it. Mm-hmm. And this is something that was kind of bothering me when we made our game is like we were looking at the metrics and people were only playing for so long. They were doing certain things and they weren't finishing the game. Yeah. But then like it with looking from this perspective is like, well, this person played for 12 hours and they broke like thousands or every single rock that was on the map. It's like, they had a good time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like maybe it was just a cathartic experience for them to go through and experience the game this way. And I feel like I experience even AAA titles that way these days, you know, some games, a lot of games I feel like are made to be played infinitely these days, but you know, there are games that do have more linear and storylines and, you know, are intended to be finished. And so to build an experience also with the idea that somebody's going to get out of it or can get out of it enough to, even if they have a good time for 15 minutes, like they enjoy the game and they put it down, not because they don't like it, but just because they feel like they've gotten the value out of it. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I feel like most of the people that I at least witnessed play did get that. And maybe part of it was because, oh, somebody I know made this, so they felt close to it. And, you know, I choose to believe that some of it was also because they genuinely did enjoy the game. But both of those things still still matter mm. because, like we said earlier, just because we made it doesn't necessarily mean they'll have a good time. True. Very true. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think most people who play games that know me or play anything I've made are a little bit more critical. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and they want to tell me everything. Oh, like, this is weird. Like, why is this over here? Da, da, da. So, like, it's. I expect that, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it was funny because, um, so one thing about Amber itself is we did, there was a lot of innovations from our standpoint, from a game development standpoint. That was the first time we had in, in done save systems, like a real solid save system in unity. The first time we had really done AI in a meaningful way. We were yeah. using a lot of like tricks with the culling and different things. Uh, day night cycle day night cycles <laughs> um you know like specific ai for particular enemies and particular types we had um these class like it was like so many things we did but one of the cool things we did at some point um i think i was inspired by some of the work i had been doing in general was like metrics like one thing you hear mm-hmm. about from game developers and game developer conferences and different things is metrics Tracking how people are playing your game to give you some insight on what you can improve on and how you can make the game better. So one thing we did was the analytics. What we did is we added this ability to track how players played. We don't know anything about the players other than what they give us, like their nickname or name they enter. Sometimes people put their name. Some people put a nickname. It doesn't really matter. But we could see how people played the game. We could see how they died how often they died, at what time point they died, <laughs> yeah. what they died by, how many times they picked up a certain thing, how many bro- certain rocks they broke, 
how far they traveled. We had all these metrics and it was so interesting looking at people's metrics. I wonder if that data still exists. Is the game still running? <laughs> I think it's I think technically you could still play it. Anyway, that's some, that's the <laughs> we should talk about that offline. But um it was interesting like I would look through the metrics and I could literally see somebody would play the game for like 3 hours and make like no progress, but I could see that they died like a hundred times. Like they were just <laughs> yeah, running. Big. Like, yeah, like they were just <laughs> running around the world, absolutely not playing the game correctly, but they were getting value from it. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I'm like, what? Like, right. Why? You know, some people would play for five minutes and be like, die in the water and be like, done. <laughs> that was definitely the main cause of death. Drowning. This game trash. Yeah. You know? So it just blew my mind, you know, looking at that that experience that people were having. It was just numbers, but like you could see that people were actually playing our game and getting something from it, you know. It, it was... and speaking to speaking to the water. I remember that was the decision we were talking about because, man, for the longest time in games, you could think back. Think of how many games allowed you to swim. Mm -hmm. And that is by design because along with cameras and along with what was the other thing? Uh, Along with those things that we underestimate, water physics and swimming and transitioning states between swimming and walking. Don't. And so that's the... (laughs) So one of the things is we made water like a, a tremendous hazard in that game <laughs> by design so nobody would ever question it. <laughs> like, don't go in water. You will drown and you will not you will be able drown. to get out. You know. And also we were using that as a means to keep the person on the island because, mm-hmm. you know, and then there are some secrets out in the water for anybody who's played it. You know, like there's a lot of reasons. But yeah, like water is, <laughs> you know, it, like, you know, Amber... It's kind of like the culmination of a lot of what we've done. But even past that, you know, we've done game jams. We've done a lot of things. But, you know, I know Marcus asked about tools. And, and one one thing that I would say is that I think why I like Unity. So Unity, I used Unity way back in the day. In like 2011, 12. Oh, nice. I was using Unity. I had no clue. I made this garbage game where it was about. You had the, the, it was this whole like librarian game where like you had to move the right books to open up a passageway. It was terrible. You made a game about being a librarian? Not exactly. I, you know how, going back to the whole concept <laughs> of you make a story and you make this idea and then you try to make it to a game. I had this whole idea. I can't even remember. I probably haven't written down. So it was so bad. But, um, <laughs> but it's like, I'm thankful. I am thankful for tools like unity oh for sure because i think one of the reasons way back in the day i felt that game development was inaccessible was Mm -hmm. because i was plugged enough into the gaming industry not game development but the gaming industry to understand what it took to be a studio right First, yeah. you have to purchase the game dev kit, which was thousands of dollars. Thousands. Like, oh, I want to make a PlayStation 2 game. Well, you had to buy the kit. and Specific then development kit. You have to reach out to Sony, and then Sony would have to approve you and then send it. And then 
it's not like they sent you a, a manual with how to make the game. You had then had to have your own computers and write in some obscure language and, you know, build engines, build the engines yourself. And yeah. so I'd heard about these stories, like how many game informers have I read where they made their own engine that does light reflection and mirrors and water and physics. And I was like, who am I? I, I I'm terrible at math. <laughs> you know, at least realizing <laughs> exactly. later that math wasn't the most important factor, but it just seemed impossible. Unity mm-hmm. was the first time that it felt possible to like make a real game, you know? Right. And, you know, I don't really know, like the whole game development landscape looks completely different because of Unity, but not just because of Unity, but because of stuff like, uh, what was the, the thing that you used? Um... Uh, back in oh the yeah, day. multimedia fusion. Multimedia media fusion. For me, it was action script and flash. Um, it was also RPG was game maker. I think was game. Maker. Yeah, RPG maker. RPG maker yeah. ran into construct, which man, mm. I I figured out how to make construct into something it should have never been. <laughs> For those who don't understand, construct at the time couldn't do API calls correctly. HTTP requests. I figured out how to get it to do HTTP requests in a way that it should have never been able to do. But anyway, like Construct, um, what other game engines are there that exist? Um, so outside of those? Yeah. Like current ones? Yeah, that people can develop in. Um, oh, so we got Godot. Yes. Uh, Un- Unreal has oh, a free version. Unreal. Yeah. And... Uh, there are more for sure. Th- those I, are I'm, definitely I'm drawing a blank. Those are definitely the major players, and mm-hmm. I think Unity has definitely become the home for us because that's kind of where 3D game development was the most comfortable. And then I, me and Cal have both talked about this. We've both wanted to get into Unreal. We've both <laughs> dabbled in Unreal, but the learning curve on Unreal is unreal. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's definitely better now. But, like, even me being a person who did work in C++ and Unreal using C++, it was still, like, man. It's a different animal. Especially if you're used to Unity, you know, because it's a transition. Yeah, it's a different, completely different software and then a completely different language. And then on top of that, Unreal, to I think in an effort to make it more accessible, they have the blueprint, mm-hmm. which... And so you have to learn how those work within these systems. So, yeah, it's a lot. It seems daunting. Yeah. And then, like, and that's one thing that's really important about the tools is the accessibility to not only using them, but, like, what exists out there to guide you and how many people are using it. So, for example. That's a great point. Like, uh, Unity, when I started it, there wasn't much information out there. But it was like pretty low level. You just mess around and you figure stuff out. But over time, you like see more blogs and more people writing about it. And of course, YouTube videos started coming around. So now there's just a plethora of information on like it's everywhere. Basic Unity game development. There's some tools that aren't very heavily, you know, looked into, but most. Now, Unreal, I don't know if you remember this, Kyle. But do you remember when, first of all, shout out to the boy Terry. If you remember Terry from... Uh, oh, I IBM. do remember Terry. Probably the... Terry was GOAT. He's truly, like, the GOAT. Like, one of the most intelligent, hardworking, solid dudes I've ever met. Like... Another level. Like, honestly, and I think I've told him this, but, like, 
I think he could be Elon Musk if he wanted to be. <laughs> you know? If he wanted to. Like, if he wanted to. But, you know, he, he's chill, so I appreciate Terry for that. But um, there was a time where working at IBM, um, found out that IBM worked on Star Trek Bridge Crew. Oh, yeah. Which was the VR game that used, um, what what was it? Um, Watson. Watson? Watson yeah. AI, which was like a language, uh, speech to text translator, text to speech. Um, all that stuff. All that yeah. stuff. Image, all that jazz. And it used speech to text for you to play the game. So, um, like I had found out about it at E3, but I knew I was already messing with Watson and doing some game Mm -hmm. development stuff at IBM. And so I was like aware of it. And what happened was I managed to meet somebody who was working with the Star Trek bridge crew team and they needed help on creating a, I guess you could say a, I don't want to say framework, but they basically wanted the ability to use Watson in Unreal Engine. Now, I had dabbled in Unreal Engine, but I was also doing other things, and I didn't have the time to sit down and figure it out. I had used Watson pretty heavily, and I knew the API pretty well, or the yeah. the, the API being the mechanism that you use to interact with Watson um over the cloud, over the internet. And mm-hmm. I was just talking to Terry and I was like, hey, you know, I know you're looking for more ta- challenging things to do. This came across my table. I don't have time to do it. I can help you like be the middleman if you want to work on it. And Terry in his incredible ability basically <laughs> managed to make an interface that allowed you to use Watson. This had never been done before. Like you have to understand. You figured it out. This is a game that was being published by a game development company. And Terry, primarily, me as just support and helping with anything I could, didn't really get into the code. Terry managed to make a mechanism to allow Watson to be used within Unreal Engine to bridge it in the C++ from what it was being used. Because you could use it in Unity pretty... I had figured out already how to do that. That's why they had reached out to me. Because I'd already created like a... A scaffolding to use it in unity but it was a lot easier um yeah so anyway like the, the the unreal is just like so much more complex and like unity just being a lot more like accessible and easier like just for like first of all for terry to do something like that was absolutely incredible because i i think the fact that they reached out to us to do it means that they couldn't figure it out but like that just shows you the difference in the gap between like skill level, mm-hmm. like in Unreal and Unity. You know, <laughs> yeah. Not to downplay myself, but to say like, I don't know, somebody who I think is honestly one of the smartest people I've ever met. Like, <laughs> that's what they needed to like use Unreal in a way. You know, um, not- yeah. And I think it's a double edged sword too because Unity, in its infinite accessibility, has also allowed for this generation of I guess what could be considered shovelware. Yes. You know, like there are objectively too many games being made and it's like as a result or it's it's because of unity being so easy. Yeah. Is that people who don't make games for the right intentions are leveraging how easy it is, you know. Yeah. And you know 
it, it maybe maybe people don't dis- people people disagree. The right intentions maybe maybe making games just for money. Some people will agree is fine. But I think holistically, if you're a gamer, making games specifically for the intent to scam people, or not scam them, but just make <laughs> a game where somebody will just play it for five minutes so you they can get just obliterated with ads or some some equivalent, or you, you make them feel FOMO and want to buy skins. Whatever you're, whatever malicious thing you're using it for is, is bad. I yeah. think most people would agree. And Unity... It's unfortunately, I don't think it was the intent, but they've unfortunately created a very easy way. Yeah. Like the, the barrier to entry is super low. It's very low. And, and in many ways, I'm thankful to Unity, as I mentioned before, for ma- ma- lowering that barrier of entry uh, so that we could enter the field. Yeah. But I think there's a point where you have to make it a little bit inaccessible to make sure that the quality stays a little bit higher. Right. Exactly. It's um, mm-hmm. it's kind of got to be regulated in some way. Yeah, you just need some, some like at my Muay Thai gym, like they don't let everybody go to certain classes. Like there's like yeah, everybody's been here for a while, but they like they basically want to make sure that the right people are more or less doing it so that they keep the general level okay, you know, and also that people don't get hurt. And I think that that's kind of how I feel Unity has failed a little bit in that they have tried to be too accessible like you're saying kyle like yeah it's damaging it's damaging the health of the industry Mm -hmm. because yeah it being open to absolutely anyone on paper sounds like a good idea but yeah going back to your example you know intentions are a lot of are a big part of it you know it's just it i mean it's the unfortunate thing that is has to be done when something is easy to get into like there has to be at least levels yeah, you know, that you can reach, and you have to prove something, something. So no, it, it I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it to make it not sound icky, if you will. <laughs> sound very like <laughs> elitist, like we only want the best here. But it, it, it's, <laughs> right. it's true, like you don't really want every game that's been published in Steam to be like at a PlayStation conference. There should be some level <laughs> of quality. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, it's. It's just reality. You know, I, I know we're kind of we're running pretty, you know, we're coming up on the two hour mark of, oh, of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be I would love in the future. Maybe we'll have some time to yeah talk a little bit about our experience seeing the tools matriculate over time, because there is a big difference from the unity that me and Kyle even made Amber in and the unity exists now. It's still it's unity, but it's very much different. And even the unity that existed before me and Kyle started working together mm-hmm. um, and seeing how Unreal has changed, you know, from, you know, Kismet or B- Kismet, the blueprints to all these different things, um, you know, seeing like some game development engines like RPG Maker have kind of lost prominence in the game development yeah. world because of what they've, you know, what they represent. But, you know, I think we need to spend a little bit more time preparing, though on that one because there's so much to talk about and you know be a little bit more focused but uh yeah i don't know i think i think in a way unity has kind of gotten a similar connotation to it as like digital cameras Mm. because it started off as like oh it was it was the best most accessible digital camera if you were interested in photography 
interested in game development, you know, you would pick up Unity. And you could make some games. You could take some nice looking pictures. You know what I'm saying? But then over time, they've added these things to it that makes it easier and easier mm-hmm. to make your, your picture look better without the quality actually being better, without you actually learning anything, all these automated processes. So now Unity actually has a fully, uh, you know, utilizable, it's a, you can just enter in, into your project, the cinema machine. Yeah. It's like a free, it's a free camera, you know, like the thing we were just talking about, the learning curve. You can get that for free. There's a in the templates. There's a third person character controller, a first person character controller, a complete demo for a first person shooter. Which I'm not knocking these things. I'm just saying it has a similar connotation because those things can be flipped. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that being able to just purchase a low end digital camera but have nice enough pictures doesn't make you a photographer. Being able to pick up Unity and you asset flip one of these shouldn't equate. To you being a game developer in the way that you can just go ahead and publish it. Yes. And and and, and I want to I don't want to get too deep in this, but it, it does really <laughs> create the reason why a lot of games, especially indie level games, are very samey. It's because the, when you give people access access to certain tools that make their lives easier, it also defeats innovation. Because why it am does. I going to make a camera that does something unique, new, or better if I don't have to actually solve the problem. If the problem has already been solved, oh, it just moves and it does the thing that I need, well, I'm not going to mess with Machine. Also, I don't really understand Machine because it's code that I <laughs> yeah. can't really change. Like, Convoluted. I'm going to just minimize my game design to reflect what Machine can do, not what I would like to see it do and the capabilities or the possibilities that I'd like to see happen. So... I think there's a real deep discussion about how accessibility and the tools that exist in the industry today actually has destroyed game development innovation and has Mm. made games essentially like boilerplate. And yeah, there's some cool experiences where people do some cool things, but like that's like the 1% of the 1%, you know, at this point. Yeah, they're being drowned out. Yeah. Because back in the day, even a game to, for a game to exist on PlayStation, it had to meet some level of competence. Right. Had to innovate. The team had to be competent, even if the game was trash. Nowadays, <laughs> you don't have to have a competent team or a team that understands anything about game design. Or a team. Or a team to make a game and publish it. You know, like you said, asset flips. We could talk all about that later, but um Whew. there's so much to say. So so we definitely have to do it part two where we talk about like how tools have affected the industry and what we've seen over the years we kind of went this was a more personal walk through our time as developers and kind of what has inspired us and what we've seen but um there's so much to talk about we could talk about game dev for a long time <laughs> you know you know we'd love if you're interested in this topic and you're interested in learning more about game dev and experience or things to know about it please if you're in the discord on our youtube on our facebook um just put something out there and say, oh, I'd love to hear about this aspect of game dev. Because it might be hard to realize this, but me and Kyle have professionally worked in game development. It may We might not be making games for the Switch or something, but like our actual paycheck has been directly <laughs> correlated to what we've done in game development, you know? Yeah, um, mine still is. I'm still yeah. making learning games. Kyle is still on it, you know. For me, I'm in a different world now, but we've both spent time where our 100% of our focus was game development 
to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's all these other things we have to do with our lives at work, but that's game development. Um, yeah. So we could talk about that. What does it look like to be a game dev outside of the gaming industry? That'd be a cool topic for us to cover. There's a lot of stories in that and a lot of crazy things that we've done that I still am like, wow, I can't believe we did that. Or, man, that's just (laughs) shelves somewhere that nobody will ever see. Um, You know, and then there's this story of the tools and and what has created the industry as a whole. Um, Yeah, we're kind of scratching the surface in this episode, man. Yeah, really. I feel like this episode was important because we laid the groundwork. Because a lot of what we would talk about in the future won't make much sense without your understanding of where we've come from, our understanding. and That's true. You know, it would just seem like some dudes just who have an opinion. Like, no, we have experience, <laughs> not to be rude and talk big. But, like, yeah, we, we can confidently say we know what we're talking about. Go play Amber on itch.io. Yes. And then, and then talk to us. <laughs> i mean there's a good chance oh man we got to check to see if the amber like if it's still running if you could still log in that means that the the database is still weren't running and it's hosted i think we removed the webgl version yeah you can download it from there yeah i'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that but i think the database that tracks everything that allows you to log into the game still exists so yeah gotta double check that we do we we definitely do so I don't know. Any any last <laughs> words, Kyle, before we wrap up for the, the day, the evening, the night? Uh, thanks again for the suggestion. Yes. Our faithful, super agile community. Keep them coming because, uh, you know, this is a conversation that made a whole lot of sense for us to have that mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily think of. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you have any more suggestions, feel free. Yeah. Leave them in the discord in a comment. If you have, if you know us personally, just tell us. <laughs> yeah, for real. But yeah. But yeah, this was a great conversation piece here. Yeah. I mean, all I have to say is I still love game dev. I might not do it day to day. Actually, I, I got to talk to you, Kyle. I've been working on something in the in mm. the dead of the night that only the wifey knows about. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I can't say, I, I'm not going to say no more than that. I'm, I'll talk to you offline about it, but I definitely have some <laughs> real plans. And some real things that I okay. want to do. So, um, just to get things rolling. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love sure. I love game dev. I love being creative. I mean, I love making this podcast. To me, this is scratches some of that itch. Hey, scratch the itch. Um, but, yeah, really, shout out to Marcus, the boy Marcus, for this idea. Appreciate you just asking, honestly. Like <laughs> like Kyle said, like, we, we, this is kind of stuff that we might talk about, but, like, not think to talk about on the podcast. Um but uh, yeah, thanks to our community. Thank you to everybody in the Discord. Of course, thank you to the boy Kyle. Thank you for uh, always a pleasure holding it down and you know showing the world that we don't need Steve. We don't need you, Steve. <laughs> we don't need you. Uh, but really, okay. uh, we miss the boy Steve with the energy. Hey, community, convince Steve to become a true game dev. He he has it in his spirit, but he, he does. He, he just he just got to step into the world full time, just be in it. But um. You know, of course, we miss you, Steve. Uh, looking forward to having you back. Hope you're uh, doing well. Um, and of course, thank you all for uh, just the time for us to share with you all and listening this far. Shout out to our community. Shout out to the new fans of the show. People who've been listening who are Ew. who are not necessarily a part of the Discord. We're not, you know, make necessarily trumpeting themselves. I've met a few people who have been like, oh, I listened to this episode. I've listened to that, you know, and I just appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. You truly make this all worth it. And we're going to keep on doing this for y'all. 
you know. And shout out to the boy Brad, because hey. usually because you're saying the shout outs, you don't shout out yourself. So I'm gonna shout, I'm gonna shout you out. Hey, well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. It's definitely a blessing to be on this, and uh, I'm thankful for every episode we get a chance to record. It's a, uh, it's a true friendship, and I'm thankful for this time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So anywho, thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for being a part of this. Once again, you always know you can catch us on all of the so- the social medias. <laughs> all of the all podcasting platforms. sites and platforms. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Stitcher. We everywhere. If you don't know where Smart to find bridge, us, we're on your toaster. On your toaster. You know, if you don't know where to find us, just search our name in Google, Super Agile Bros, and you will find us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your time. We love you guys. And until next time, y'all take it easy. Peace.